Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. Culture has a profound impact on company performance. And often there's a disconnect between what management thinks culture is and how people perceive the culture. In business, leaders don't understand it. What is your culture? Today, we're going to discuss how to analyze your company culture, and we're going to find out. Today's quote is, there's no magic formula for great company culture. The key is just to treat your staff how you would like to be treated. Any idea who said that, Chris? I do, because I fundamentally disagree with that quote. <laughs> do you really? <laughs> so there we go. We can start it off right. <laughs> nice. I That's love Richard it. Branson, of course. It but, absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. All right. I picked the right quote for today. <laughs> we get charged up. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Our mission is to disrupt recruiting. We share insights from top performing entrepreneurs and industry experts and provide proven tactical solutions to solve your company's toughest hiring challenges. Today, our guest is Chris Dyer, the founder and CEO of People G2. Chris is a recognized performance expert. He's also the author of The Power of Company Culture, which was released this year. Good job, Chris. Thank you. People G2, a background check company, which has appeared on the Inc. 5000 list, fastest growing companies. He's also a passionate talent management enthusiast. My tongue is not working today. Chris is the host of Talent Talk here on OC Talk Radio, popular business podcast, which features interviews of top executives and their strategies for hiring and promoting talent. Chris, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's going to be a rough one for me today. I'm battling a little bit of a sinus infection. And we'll so make it. We'll just go. We'll do it. All right. So today we're going to cover what culture is. Uh, we're going to talk about how to analyze your culture and then how to attract the right people for your organization, good or bad, whatever your culture is. Let's help you figure that out. What do you think? Uh, we can do it. All right. So let's start by talking about what what is culture? Since you fundamentally disagree with Richard Branson, yeah. let's go there. That's- yeah. So, I mean, culture really is, if we're talking about company culture, it is that underlying set of values and uh, understanding of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it as you navigate yourself as an employee throughout your throughout a company. So, and, and culture certainly is slightly different for the owner, for senior level executives and a little bit different for your average frontline employee. But overall, it should be, you know, if you're not sure how to make a decision, if you're not sure how to move forward or um, how to operate inside an organization, the culture should help you do that, right? Above and beyond what a man- sure. a particular manager or your cube mate, you know, if you're sitting in a big, you know, general with a whole bunch of offices tells you it is. It, that should be a part of it. And so where I disagree with Branson is, is that I think he fundamentally probably does a lot of the things that are scripted, that you can. There is a formula. And I think he naturally does those things because yeah. he, they are those things that he thinks and values and therefore he would do for his employees. There is an, a million examples of people who don't think that way or don't know any better and continue to treat their employees like numbers, like a bunch of cattle. Oh, yeah, sure. And they don't, so that that is not, how they would want to be treated is not the same way in which is what Branson would. So that's true. That really gets back to why I wrote the book. We had so many stories on on my show over and over and over again. People were saying the same things. The best companies were telling me the same repeatable things over and over again. And so what I were the worst ones telling you. Well, the worst ones probably weren't on the show, but <laughs> <laughs> the worst ones that we could observe people who had very low glass door, um, yeah. you know, uh, ratings, people who were in the news for doing it wrong all the time. 
they were consistently had a certain set of values as well. And we talked about that in the book, but it is to me very clear what the good things are, what the great things are, what the bad things are. And then you can decide what's important for your company. Well, good or bad. And actually we have this argument with Paul all the time, our engineer, where he he thinks culture is a bunch of hooey. Right. But the fact is, no matter what your company is, you have a culture, good or bad, it's Got a culture, mm-hmm. and which is the personality of your company and the people who work in it. Right. All right. So you've broken down what you call the seven pillars of culture. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. These are the seven things that we, I say I really during the interviews have kind of figured out that the greatest companies were telling me they did well. Sure. Or that they focused on or that they really valued inside of their company. And so these are the seven things you need to do to be great. Not not good. Okay. There's the things you can do to be good. And there's a slight difference there because most people, if they try and are somewhat uh, intelligent and, you know, intentional about their culture, can have a good culture. That is different than having a great company culture because what's different about great company cultures, the research says over and over and over again, they are the top of their industry. They have higher levels of profit. Their uh, products and services, you know, seem to make it through big changes in innovation or technology. These companies do well over the long haul and are the best of what they do. And that's different than just being good at at your company So it's good to great, right? Right. But you can still have companies that have harsh or terrible cultures that actually perform well and do really well, though. Sure. So there are companies that do pretty well and don't have a very good company culture. They, statistically speaking, they don't have as high a profits. Right. And you can have outliers. Yeah. But because of their product or service, right? If you're the only one offering like the only one selling, you know, nukes to the, you know, the government, I mean their, their profits might be really good. It yeah. doesn't mean they're a good place to work. Yeah. So there can be some some one offs on very particular sure. situations. But in like in, the Weinstein company. Right. Way back when. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was another factor there clearly we didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> but but they owned all the movies that got released. I mean, they've right. been a huge mogul in that space for forever. Right. Yeah. And you can say what you want about him. You could also argue they made pretty good movies, regardless. I mean, most of the movies we saw, that most Academy Award I mean, how many times did they thank that guy up on the up on stage? So, oh, yeah. I mean, Reluctantly, his, his ridiculousness aside, I mean, they made pretty yeah. good movies, too. And But I've heard the company culture, though, is pretty harsh as well. I mean, it usually comes sure. from the top down. Sure. Right? If you have, if you have somebody who's a, an asshole running the organization, it's going to proliferate. Absolutely. So, what we do see, now, again, and you can turn to it didn't last, right? Yeah, true. It all came down to a crashing end. It did really well for a while and it came down to a crashing end. Yeah. What we're looking at is companies that continue to do well and have have made it through, you know, recession after recession, changes in in industry and technology and in other things. You know, General Motors, I mean, they have done a really good job over time of continuing to readapt and to change themselves. And we've had their head of uh, their CHRO on the show and the things that they're doing are amazing to try to, in many different ways, handle the changes in who their employees are coming in, what uh, potential auto buyers are going to want. It will even be auto buyers in the future. I mean, all these things, they're already, they're far and above many other companies in our industry. Hmm. I've been thinking about this for a very long time. So let's go back to your seven pillars. Let's talk about those. What, what are the seven pillars? So if I can remember all the top of my head, you may have to help me, but yeah. So the first one is transparency. Um, this Which is, big, is probably the toughest one for people to get it is their tough. hands around. It's tough. Yeah. Um, it's tough for a lot of reasons. Um, when you start sharing more information, people have more questions. <laughs> yeah. And now you got to start answering those questions. Yeah. If you haven't been doing things very fairly with your employees or your vendors or whatever, and you start sharing, people start saying, 
saying, well, how come this person's getting this and I'm not, I'm getting that. So you have to sort of to rectify some of maybe these injustices. But overall, we find uh, that company cultures that have transparency in their organizations and that transparency, let's give examples. Do you share budgets? Do you share goals amongst, across the company? Do you share P&Ls? Do you share anything that might help people in the organization make better decisions, understand what your company's doing, where they're going, why they're going there? Very often, you will hear managers say, you know, why should I go into a meeting and ask people what they think? They usually come back with a bunch of dumb ideas they don't understand. I, I know more than they know. Well, of course, you, of course, because you haven't shared the information that you know. But if you give people the information that they need to know, you'll be shocked at how much better their suggestions and the, and what they come back to you with gets because now they're up where you're at. People are afraid of that. They don't like, well, I'm going to keep my job here. I'm going to be the top dog in my department and make sure no one else knows anything. And so this is where leaders... So that you guys can feed me bad ideas and I can look worse. Well, but they they hold way, their power, right? right? Like, yeah. I'm the only one who knows this stuff. You have to come to me. You, you know, in this you see these little pockets of tribalism inside that's of large organizations. That's just low EQ, though. It is, but yeah. that's, it's rampant in our set of organizations. That's true. And so, um, this why this culture ultimately comes from the top. There has to be someone, a person or a group of people at the top saying, this has to be important and we are going to do this to fight some of this lower level middle management stuff that happens, lack of a better word. (laughs) Yeah. You mean shit that happens. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We're not a G-rated show. Okay. So transparency is super important. And there's some companies that are actually taking it to the nth degree now where they're transparent with everything. Mm-hmm. including other employees' salaries. There's a company that I interviewed not too long ago called Vincent, and they do an amazing job of making sure that everybody knows everything that's going on within the organization. What they've done, too, by opening up and sharing everybody's salary is that they've eliminated review periods mm-hmm. because now you're peer-reviewed, and your peers will look right. at what you're making, and they'll say, well, we want to put him up for or her up for a raise. Right. They've been doing a great job. Right. So it makes your job much easier. Right. It is one of the ones that has the most impact, I think, in organizations to do well. It's yeah. also one of the hardest ones to get off the ground because you you can fundamentally just be, you know, full of just all this old practices that uh-huh. were hide and deceive and don't talk about that stuff, right? And you have to start to really unfold a lot of those things. You know, and that's why it's important to actually set that up from the beginning. If you can set up transparency, I told you it's going to be a rough one today. Yeah. If you can set up transparency from the beginning, it just, it makes it easier for you to integrate people. Super famous guy, Jack Stack, wrote a book called um, The Great Game of Business. I think that's the name. Mm-hmm. And he talked about what their transparency in their organization. And they not only gave out P&Ls, down, down to, he gives this example of our, you know, the, the we had people that all their job was, was to sweep the warehouse floors. They received, everyone in the company received the P&Ls. Got it. And on top of that, they received classes on how to read the P&Ls because they realized that a lot of them didn't understand what they even meant. So they provided classes and financial education that not only helped them read that stuff, but helped them plan better for their taxes and for the, you know, just this whole thing of trying to help them. And they said they have saved so much money because people down at the bottom who you could traditionally not value their opinion that they would be able to do anything to impact the company started coming to them with ideas on how they could save money. I bet. You mentioned education there, right? Does education factor into these pillars? Yeah, because if you have all the information and you start delivering it to people, if you don't provide the education as to why this is happening and, and, and how this came about and are open to having conversations to potentially changing it, yeah, then you people... So there's this old... Um, there's a cognitive bias, which is basically you only know what you know. You can't 
you can't possibly make a conclusion on information you don't have. So if you receive two data points, you can only make a conclusion that's already in your head, right? If you see a, a stone on the ground and maybe some metal, and you, you, might, you could say, well, geez, maybe there was a car crash, maybe there was something, maybe that's from another planet. But if you don't know that the aliens <laughs> exist and that planet exists, you couldn't possibly say, well, this is from the planet Saturn and this yeah. must be some secret alien. You would That wouldn't even pop in your head because it's not something you already know. Sure. It's not been discovered. You can only say, well, there's a piece of metal in a stone and you can make conclusions. And it's the same thing happens in companies. This, I know this and I know this. Therefore, pick some scenario that's happened in their lives. That's the conclusion they will come to. And so companies have to educate and have to be transparent in order to fill in the gaps and to ensure people don't make assumptions and conclusions that are just terribly wrong. Yeah. And they lose great talent and they lose profitability and they lose so much of the things that happen in their business that they don't have to. Now we're kind of heading into that realm of data. Right. So as you look at the next pillar is measurement and measurement gets into a lot of things, right? So what do you measure? What do you value? Um, and, and so what do you measure is really tricky because if you measure everything and you kind of value everything the same way, you get bogged down. It's just too much. It's too hard to do for most companies. Google's one of the best at measuring everything. Oh, yeah. Um, and, but even they have priorities on what is important. Um, it's whatever I, they can sell. Yeah, <laughs> right, where they can sell. But I mean, yeah. they, they also are really good about, they will study what makes a great team and then they are transparent and they share it with the world, right? They what do. makes a great manager. I mean, you see those things all the time and you could argue that's really good PR for them too. But, you know, they're sharing all this great stuff instead of holding it inside. But I would argue that what makes a great team at Google probably won't work for a startup because you're just not there. Well, I mean, in a start, I guess it did. So it There's depends. some elements you can There's pull elements. from. But. So Google said that what makes a great team is a couple elements and then we're kind of break down like a five point, you know, thing they have, which is um, a great team is they come together and they determine what equals a success, what equals a failure, and what, how will they deal with conflict? Mm -hmm. Those basically are the three things that a great, great teams in Google have clearly defined. And when they do that, most of the time they, they do what they're expected or outperform what they're supposed to do. And so if you think about that, and I've done this with groups and works, this works fantastic with volunteer groups, especially you determine what is a win and what's a loss. People are, now you already have that. You find out you have an argument real quick, and people aren't all on the same page about why you, why you're even there. What what is a success and what is a failure? And if you get through that, then you talk about how are we going to deal with conflict, which is Joe's not doing his his part, or Sally thinks she's the only one working on the group. How are you going to deal with conflict when that happens? What is that? Is it is it democracy wins? Is it Sally gets to decide? Is it you know whatever your thing is? And that's different from group to group, company to company. And they figure that out, and that's what makes a great group at Google. I totally agree with that piece. Unfortunately, most smaller companies just don't function that. It's usually top-down management, making the decisions, just trying to get things done, right? So when you say startup, do you mean like, I just decided I'm going to start a What I mean by startup store? is anything that's pre-IPO. So I would agree with you in the sense of their bootstrap. If they've started and it was a one-man or one-woman shop in their garage and they've built up, it is very top-down, people wearing a lot of hats. Sure. And you don't have quite that communication that you want, unless you have some really high EQ person that happened to have started a business, right? But if they are funded, that's generally not true because if someone's given they angel or VC team. money, they have a team and they're yeah. coming in and they have an experience and it's a little different. Or they have a rich uncle. And but even a rich uncle doesn't guarantee you're going to do things right. But I mean, no. if you have an organized group that's giving you money, they generally want, because they've had this scenario, they know a good team who's talking, communicating, and doing that is going to perform for them so much better. One would hope, but I mean, still, they only count on, what is it, 3 to 5% of their investments usually coming to, yeah. to the next round of funding? I will tell you, and I've had uh, quite a few uh, 
you know, investment experts on my show, uh, one of which whose uh, opinion I kind of hold above all others is Dave Burkus. And he pretty much explained, and in, in, he's done this many times, he bets on the jockey, not the horse. Absolutely. So it's the person who, who's there. So it's that person. Are they going to come in and run a good company? It's more so than the idea or the product, which is amazing because you think that these guys, these investors are out there looking for the next big thing, and they're not. They're looking for the next big person. If you're just joining us right now on our live stream or our podcast, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm Rick Gerard, and today our guest is Chris Dyer, the founder and CEO of People G2 and the author of the book, Power of Company Culture. So we just discussed what culture is, and we discussed the pillars of culture, and now we're going to get into really how to analyze culture. So it's kind of really easy. Open your eyes. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing. I mean, you, know, you might want to read a few books or go to a conference and get <laughs> kind of inspired. Yeah. Again, you don't. if you don't know what you don't know, this is where I see companies struggling the most with their leadership is that people generally only have um, what their parents did, what their coaches did, maybe what their first boss did, and that could be good or bad, Yeah. Um, as to how to manage people. And if they don't receive training, if you don't have, you're not thinking about this stuff, you're not maybe running a book club and having conversations inside your organization, people only resort back to, essentially, it's command and control. Because that's what your parents did, that's what your coaches yeah, did. Absolutely. That's what your teachers did, um, was command and control. It's super easy to yeah. just say, do what I say because I said so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're fired, right? That's what my parents did. Right. And They didn't fire me. But... And that's fine when you're trying to keep a child from putting their hand on a hot stove. Yeah. It's not the same thing when you're trying to get people inspired to do their best work and to come to the office not only to do their job, but to actively participate in making it awesome instead of actively trying to ruin things. Yeah. I mean, actively disengaged. Where I see a lot of disconnect is that the leaders or the owner of the company usually has a totally different idea of what the company culture is than the actual people who work there. I've gone into companies and we'll survey everybody. And the answers from the CEO are completely different from everybody else. I told a story not too long ago about a, a CEO. Behind his desk, he had all these great words like teamwork and culture, big words behind his desk. And when we went and walked through the office, I noticed people were getting real busy as he was walking around. They're getting on the phone. You hear them typing kind of loud. There was nobody talking. Everybody was kind of doing their own thing. And when we went back to his office, I asked him, where did you get these words? Like, I didn't observe any of those. He said, well, they all sounded good. So we just kind of picked them and put them up on the wall. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> he didn't live it at all. It was a really um, interesting experience. Do an employee survey if you're not sure what your culture is. Mm -hmm. See what they say your culture is because that's probably what your culture is. Yeah, and surveying is great. Um, I, I would kind of tie this into measurement. If you're doing one annual survey a year, you pretty much are doing nothing. I mean, that's just pretty crappy. It's better than nothing, Yeah, but it's pretty crappy because when you do it will dramatically impact the results. Is it in the summer when people are tending to be happier? Or did you pick December right after Christmas when they have all have no money in their bank accounts um, and they had to spend two <laughs> weeks with their family yeah. um, and now they're pretty miserable uh, and they're cold. Most of them are in it's the winter and they're just, you know. So when you do it, it makes a really big difference as to the results you get. When should somebody do it? They should be doing it constantly. Okay. So I advocate for at minimum a monthly survey. If you can do a weekly survey, this is what we do at my company. I send out one question per week. Huh. So it's simple. I'm getting constant feedback from my employees, one question at a time. So I get a 52-question survey done every year, but one week at a time. Okay. And I can make changes, or my, my executive team really, can help me make changes much more easily as I'm digesting one question. Because if you think about an annual survey, 
you get all this data and all this information. It's going to take you two, three months to argue and figure out what the heck it means and what yeah. you're actually going to do about it. Then you go back and decide, okay, well, now we need, a, we need this or we need that or this. Piece. And it takes you another three months to figure out how to get that in place. Now, think about the employee. The employee filled out a survey. They're looking at least six months until you might actually do something that they could notice as a result of their input. And now you're getting pretty close to the next survey. So it's completely useless to them. Instead, if you can get it down to some smaller level, whether it's weekly or monthly, to ask them a few questions and try to get information and say, geez, how are we doing, right? Or what's your biggest obstacle at work every day? Yeah. Or my favorite is, how am I, the CEO, getting in your way? Yeah. Right? How am I messing up your job? And it's anonymous, and they probably, for your, for the, your client, you might, they might have said, well, you keep walking down the hall, and we have to pretend like you know we're doing something. Um, you know, Whatever that thing is, and then I can make an adjustment, right? I can quickly get my team together or I can get employees together and say, help me ex- help me understand this, explain it, let's talk about it. And then wh- what changes can we make? Sometimes it's just informational. Sometimes I just need to address it on a company call. But you have the ability, you have the EQ to be able to handle something like that. A lot of CEOs don't want to hear any of that. So that's a fundamental part of great company culture is that CEO has to be willing yeah. and be open to want to make the company the best it can be for all of the employees. If you have a CEO who doesn't care and doesn't want to hear that stuff, you're probably never going to see them change and you probably should go find another job. Totally agree. And you can call me. (laughs) (laughs) Is this the part where I dropped my phone number? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Totally agree. And you know what? I think that's the big reason why 71% of the U.S. workforce is disengaged in their current roles because there's a lot of CEOs that are like that. Yeah. So maybe this is a wake-up call to you CEOs out there. So I really, the CEO should be setting the direction. They should be saying, this is what's important. Those wall, those those words on, the, on their wall in their office, they should be out there living and breathing it. But really, they should be doing that with senior-level managers and maybe mid-level managers to really be working on driving home their vision and what they believe the culture should be. And then it's the rest of those managers' jobs to really work with their direct reports to make sure they understand that and do that. The CEO can... From time to time, make a grand kind of you know gestures and talk about that stuff on calls or things, and that will help reinforce it. But really, it is the vision is top down. However, the lending employees have to be given the freedom and the life and the permission to take those ideas and run with it and yeah. incentivized and rewarded and and really make it aware that they can go out and take that idea. So teamwork, right? How can the average person inside of a company make teamwork better? How can they go about and impact that? Because they they are it's sort of like the seeds. The 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 CEO is going to throw out the seeds of what they think is important. And if the employees don't water it and they don't keep you know and and, and weed and do all these things, right? Nothing's ever going to grow out oh, of yeah. that. And it is Definitely. a two way street. Um, but what I kind of see a lot of struggling CEOs do is they will say, "Well, I'll let them figure it out," right? Oh yeah, they just uh, they kind of the whole they thing. delegate it to HR, yeah. they delegate it to some of their managers, let them figure it out, and it ends up being really unaligned to what they want. Yeah, and then what they're hearing back from them is garbage, but it sounds like it feels like they just don't the CEO doesn't want to hear it. The problem is it's misaligned, and they haven't done the right job to say here are the things that are important. We need to focus on these things first. If if, if CEOs can at least digest that and say, I can do that. I can communicate what's important for the organization and then let people run with those ideas. They're usually going to be pretty okay. I love what you're doing with the weekly survey, though. I think that that's a brilliant idea. If you're running a weekly survey, you have the ability in real time to work on that one issue right? rather than having 52 issues that get to tackle over the course of the next six months. 
You can use Google Forms. It's free. You can use SurveyMonkey. It's free or next to free. I mean, there's so many easy things. Write out your 52 questions ahead of time, or if you're lazy, write out 20, whatever. <laughs> Just get something down yeah, right? and program it and send it out and really uh, communicate to your staff that this is super important and why it's important that we don't want to wait till it's once a year. We want to be able to make changes a little bit at a time. It's more digestible. We want to yeah. make sure we keep a pulse on the company and to please. This is the thing I did is I really... I didn't beg, but I really um, made sure they understood how important it was for them to respond. That it's only one question. I'm only I'm asking you for five seconds of your life so I can make the help make the company better. Yeah. And I had a very very high. I have a very high. Usually it's only the people who are gone. You know, if I'm vacation or whatever, and we have some in the 90 percentile of return rate of people responding. So I know most. I've talked to a lot of HR people, and they say if they're lucky if they get 35. percent It's terrible. Well, so who wants to fill out 100 questions once a year in December? <laughs> <laughs> not me. <laughs> no, no, me either. They're, they really have 100 questions. Oh, yeah. Surveys. I've seen them. They're terrible. Oh, my God. Because they hired some analyst, somebody, and they said, well, you need to ask the same question three different ways, you know, so that you make sure you get accurate information. I mean, you know, because people aren't really reading and uh, yeah, 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 they're trying to get through it. That seems to me as being more of a cultural hindrance of just having to do that activity alone. Yeah. I mean, I would be pretty. Um, <laughs> disengage if someone gave me that, yeah, someone's really going to read this, you know? Exactly. But if if you ask me one question, I feel like I can give you one answer and you're probably going to read it. In fact, you're going to read it and I'm going to, I'm going to really make sure you don't know it's me. (laughs) I can't put too much in there. You're going to figure out really easily because I mean, I've told my staff, this is totally anonymous. Don't put anything in there if you don't want me to figure out who you are. If you want us to be totally anonymous, that's fine. You want to write your name, you can do that too. But, you know, I mean, I have a, I, my staff isn't thousands of people. So, I mean, I read through it. I can, I go, oh, I'm pretty sure I know who that is. You know, I, I can figure it out, <laughs> which is okay. Yeah. You know. But it's good that you do. You know, Amazon has a, an interesting view on culture. They say, we have a lot of nice people, but we're really intense. And given mm-hmm. our druthers, we really would rather side with intense. So that loops back around to hiring. You want to hire people that fit your culture, mm-hmm. not hire people that have the skills, and then you have to bend your culture around those people. For example, if you have a harsh culture, look at like Wall Street or you know, some of the companies that are out there. If you have a harsh culture, hire people that are okay and thrive in that culture. Exactly. You don't want to hire really nice people when you have a bunch of assholes working at your company. Exactly. And this is why I think there's a misnomer that there is one kind of culture. No. Right? That we're not trying to push people to all be one thing. The pillars in my book really revolve around how they execute the, their vision. Yeah. But to your point, Jeff Bezos' company is totally different yeah. than how Google operates. And yet they are wildly successful, both each in their own way and different. Diff- and there are different types of people that go to work there. Same with Apple, same with Facebook. They're just very, very different. So, And that's okay. And that's great. So you know, employees have choices as to where it's going to be the right fit for them. But it's easier. And the reason they get a lot of the best talent, besides being sexy and having these great products, is because people feel like they fit into those cultures. Exactly. Right? They exactly. really fit it. And there's examples on Wall Street. I mean... But they all hire for culture, too. I mean, Google says the two-thirds of the hiring decision is culture first. Yeah. Technical skills second. Smaller companies just don't look at it. I need somebody who can do this work, and they focus in on that, and then they have to kind of build their culture around that. Yeah, and a lot of companies that are smaller, they actually, even though they're not thinking about it this way, they are kind of hiring for culture because they end up saying, I need someone, and they end up finding someone who they know, yeah. someone who they trust. And they generally fit into the culture well. The problem that companies have is as they get larger, that person may no longer be the person who's to be in that job, right? You may yeah. have outgrown them. Oh, yeah. And so if you don't have the right culture in place to, fit, to to deal with that, to say, 
thank you for your service, but we now need, we can't have a part-time person who took three classes in marketing in college. We now need a full-time CMO, right? To be able to make that change. And that's where people struggle, I think. I think the key thing is not all cultures need to be serendipitous. They just need to be honest with who they are and hire for who they are. Right. Boom. Hey, there's our takeaway for today. No, I think that's pretty good. I mean, if they pick up on that, may they do the weekly survey. I think that's, I give them any I love the weekly survey. I'm going <laughs> to start doing that. Nice. <laughs> All right. So we're just about out of time for today's show. Chris, thanks so much for your time investment today and want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, I'm sure that some of our listeners are going to want to find People G2 and maybe pick up a copy of your book. How do they find you? Sure. So if they want background checks and drug testing, they can go to peopleg2.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Dyer, D-Y-E-R. If you want to read my book about culture, I'm sure you can find it on Amazon, uh, The Power of Company Culture. I'm on like every social channel. So if you can't find me, I am the guy who looks like a business dude. There's another Chris Dyer who's like an artist with long dreads. That's not me. I wish I was him. He really is a good artist, but that's not me. I saw that picture too. I was yeah. like, wow. Yeah. I thought so, it was maybe you prior to you know getting no. into business. So Chris and then the letter P, like Patrick, and then uh, Dyer.com is my personal site. There's all kinds of stuff. If you want to have me speak or the book or whatever. Yeah. Those D-Y-E-R, of- D-Y-E-R, correct? D-Y-E-R. All yeah. right, perfect. All right, I want to thank our listening audience for tuning into this week's episode of Higher Power. A quick thanks to our team, our engineer, Paul Roberts, our producers, Andrea Ballin, Shanti Ryle, and Kim Iverson. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review our show. Your input is welcome and needed to improve the content for you. Join the Higher Power Radio community at Hire, that's H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O dot com. Or you can find us searching Higher Power Radio on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, YouTube, you name it, we're out there. Uh, you can also follow us on all the various social channels. You can follow me on Twitter at Rick underscore Gerard. Tune in next week. Our guest is going to be Melinda Kim. Melinda is the executive director of People Space. I'm Rick Gerard, your host, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power with Rick Gerard on OC Talk Radio.